Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. You guys look great, bright and bushy, and... uh... Great to have everybody here today. Take your Bibles out and turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. We are are in a series on the book of Luke. And the first portion we're looking at is some of the miracles from the book of Luke. We're in the Galilean portion of his ministry. He's doing some incredible miracles. Remember last week, it was such an exciting thing. They, they, They tore up the roof, dropped a paralytic down in front of Jesus Christ. And he makes an incredible statement. He says, which is easier? How many know with God there is no challenge too great, too big, too mighty? Which is easier to say, son, your sins be forgiven or rise and take up your bed and walk? You see, with God, both are equally possible. Miracles are ordinaries for God. They're miracles for us. But they're part and parcel of who he is. He's the, he's the master creator. And with the brush stroke, he just simply can do a miracle at any time he wants to, any place. And we're going to look at another one of those credible miracles today from Luke chapter 7. Now, uh, survival experts will tell you that someone stranded alone in the wilderness needs four things to survive. Uh, you might kind of be thinking right now what they might be. Uh, here they are. You need shelter. You need shelter to survive. You need water. You need food. And you need hope. Those four things. Those four things are what survival experts will tell you you must have to survive out there in the wilderness. There have been stories of people who have floated at sea for days and weeks at a time. And they have been out there in the sea and facing death and no food or no water. And somehow they survive. They can go without water for probably four, five, six days. And they can go without food for three, four, five weeks at a time. And so they have been out there and miraculously they've been discovered. They've been found. They've been out in the wilderness somewhere along the way and they have survived there are all kinds of stories out there about survival and it's hope that kept them going it's hope that fueled the fire that says we will not give up we will keep on hanging on we will keep hoping because one day rescuers will be on their way by contrast listen to this in the united states 90 people each day lose their hope and bring an end to their own lives 90 a day Today, in America, 90 people will lose hope. And when they lose hope, they take their own life. And these same people I'm talking about have food, and they have shelter, and they have water, but they don't have hope. And so they end it all. Hopelessness is that that thing that, that causes us to despair and give up and, and hang it up. The intangible necessity of life called hope are two things, and and get this. It's a longing for something and the anticipation of its fulfillment. Hope is the longing for something to come to pass and the anticipation of its fulfillment. Prisoners of war have endured unspeakable suffering and survived because they refused to give up the expectation that their rescuers or deliverance was somehow on the way. 
Childless couples have submitted to all kinds of bizarre, expensive battery of procedures, all in the hopes that one day they might have a child. Students will keep their nose to the grindstone, they'll stay up late at night, they'll study, they'll pour over their books with the hopes that one day they may graduate and they may make it out of high school or they may make it out of college. And so it's that hope that they'll walk the line that keeps them studying and moving on. Hope fuels our fire. It's what keeps us going. It's what motivates us. It's that internal mechanism that says, I will not give up, I will not stop. On the other hand, Despair is the antithesis of hope. Despair is all too ready to embrace all the obstacles and all the ills it foresees foresees coming down the road. And so despair is the exact opposite of hope. Without hope, despair drowns in difficulties, all too often pulling its victims under with it. And so despair drowns us and takes us down and takes us under. Now, as Jesus is approaching the gates of a city called Nain, you're going to see two crowds. Two crowds are going to meet each other just outside the city gates. One crowd is the crowd of despair and loss and hopelessness. And the other crowd is following Jesus Christ, who is our only source of hope. Let's stand together as we read God's word today. Luke chapter 7. And verse number 11, and I want to share this story with you today. It's a great story of hope today, and uh, I think you'll see it in God's Word. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. So now you have Jesus. The crowds are following him. They saw him here, the paralytic. They saw him forgive sins. They've seen all the miracles. They heard the authority with, with which he taught, and so now the crowd is growing. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. So you have a clash of two crowds, one coming out of the gate, heading to the cemetery, and one coming into the gate. How many know there's no accidents or coincidences with God? This is a meeting he has designed, and he has set up specifically for this occasion. And when the Lord saw her, His heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Let us pray. Father, right now we come to you. We thank you, God, that with you there is always hope. And no matter how great the difficulty, the challenge may be, Lord, we can put our trust and faith in you because you're a good God and you care about us and you see everything that happens and you're the author of life. And so come into this place today and bring hope this morning. We ask it in your mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The collision of these two crowds is impressive to say the least. One is grief-stricken. One is crying and weeping and there's agony and there's, uh, there's, they're heading out to the grave and they're very, very hopeless and filled with despair. The other procession is led by the living Lord who we know is the resurrection and the life. 
And as life and death meet, the battle between life, the battle between death is short, it's decisive, and death is going to send fleeing right out of the gates of that city. And you know the story, Jesus Christ is going to win and death is going to be conquered. Now death, to understand a little bit this scene and to get this in the back of your mind of what actually is happening in Luke chapter 7, it was an occasion for a public display of grief and emotion. And they knew how to grieve. I, I, uh, yesterday I went to a funeral. It was my sister's husband's father had passed away. Wonderful Christian man. And of course, aren't you glad the word of God tells us in Thessalonians that while we grieve, we don't grieve like those without hope. Right? That, that's the difference. We, we grieve, we, we feel the loss, we know we're going to miss them, we go through those times of emotions that weep, sweep over us and overwhelm us, but we don't grieve like those without hope. When they had a funeral in New Testament times, it was quite an ordeal, quite a scene. Crying, weeping, they would beat their chest. Uh, all those were common expressions. Some people would tear their clothes, and so they would rip their outer garments. They would tear their clothes and rip them in two as a sign of their grief, and often they would put on what is known as sackcloth or just very, very raw, rough garments. Some mourners threw themselves on the earth, and they would take dust and ashes and cover their heads and cover their bodies in this as they mourned. They would even hire professional mourners that were paid to come in and mourn at the funeral times. Mostly women filled this role, and they they hired them to compose and sing lamentations as they made their way to the graveside. All a part of this whole scene that is going on that Jesus Christ encountered. The period of mourning lasted for seven days. And so from the time of death until the time uh, after the burial, even on after the burial for a seven-day period, they would mourn. And they would mourn uh, just, just over and over again. Deep, deep mourning would come out. They tried to do in Palestine burials very quickly after death because the Palestinian heat would cause the bodies to decompose. And you know what decomposing bodies can smell like, or maybe you don't know, but it's not a pleasant smell or odor. And so they would bury the body as quickly as possible. The body of the loved one was wrapped from head to toe in strips of linen, soaked in as much as 75 pounds of of, uh, aromatic spices and resin, to contain the smell. The smell would be so bad they would wrap the body, wrap the body, and it was all soaked in these oils and spices and all of that. The, the, when you, when the Jesus Christ was crucified and they took him off the cross, they meticulously wrapped him. And so when they came to the tomb, they found the burial cloths that he was wrapped in just lying folded up in the bottom of that tomb. That was pretty an incredible sight there. The day of burial, the body was placed on a bier, B-I-E-R, of lattice frame that was supported by horizontal poles, and they would carry this body on top of that until they got to the cave that was usually hewn out of a rock where they would place the body of the deceased. And so that was all part of the grieving process that was taking place. And so you can imagine the Bible says a large crowd. It was a small town. Nain wasn't a huge town, but I'm sure in a huge town, every single person knew this man that had died, this young man that had passed away. And so they're all processing out of the gates. And the crowd that Jesus is leading runs head on into them. 
Now, two facts amplify the bitterness of this woman's sorrow. First of all, the Bible describes it in detail. He says, the, the guy who died in verse 12 was her only son. Only son. The Greek word there is the word uh, monogenes, which means, or, or, or monon, mon, mon, monogenes. And it's, it's the same word that you see in John chapter 3 and verse 16 when it says, Jesus Christ sent his only begotten son. Same word there, monogenes, uh, only son. Monogenes means only son, only child. Okay? So he's the only son. And so for this lady, the loss of her only son met a life of loneliness, a life of hardship. I met someone just last week who this year had buried their son and, and says it just is not natural for children to precede their parents in death. And he said, it's one of the hardest things I've ever, ever had to go through. And so it's her only son. And so her support and the pillar of her house had just been swept away by death. And so you can imagine this lady's grief and sorrow. And then he adds in verse number 12 that this lady is a widow. Now the widow, the word widow in the language, the Greek language, is taken from the same root word that you find the word forsaken. And so she is a widow or, in the Greek language, forsaken. And so she is now a widow lady, no son who will take care of her, no son who will look after her. And a widow lady in that day and age did not survive long because they could not take care of housing and food and exposure would often, or they would be assaulted, and many times it would lead to their own death. And so very, very hard for widows in this day and age, and then not to have a son who would ever take care of you. And so you see this incredible despair in this whole funeral scene of a lady, a widow, already buried her husband, and now she's burying the only son she has. But I want to tell you, in Christ Jesus, how many know there is always hope? There is always hope in Jesus Christ. And so no matter how desperate the situation may be or seem, there is always hope. And in verse number 13, Jesus Christ says, don't cry. It says in the King James, weep not. Now, I want to tell you, when, when Jesus says, don't cry, this is not just a mere request for the lady to say, cheer up. Try to feel better. How many times do we, we go to somebody and say, just cheer up? Just put on your happy face. Just, just try to get over this. And we try to uh, encourage somebody by telling them to cheer up. But it's really a glimpse into the power that Jesus Christ is about to display. And so when he says don't weep, he's got something in the back of his mind that's just about to transpire. Don't weep. He was about to remove the cause of her tears and give her a glimpse into a time when it says in the book of Revelation, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Don't weep, don't cry. And as Jesus touches this buyer, the funeral procession comes to a standstill. And the man who created man from the dust of the earth, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, is able to call man back from the domain or dominion of death, and he gives this command, I say unto you, get up. And when he speaks that out immediately, death yields up its prey. And as soon as the young man is returned to life, the Bible says he sits up and he begins to talk or he speaks. Now, now the Bible doesn't record what he said. 
I don't know that he talked about what it was like when he had that short time he was dead or described his experience, but I do know he probably was thanking his deliverer and saying, thank you for saving me. Thank you for raising me up. Thank you for giving me a second chance. Thank you for for bringing me back to life. And I'm sure he had a lot of thanks and praise for the one who brought him back from death. God specializes in impossible situations. Let me say that again. God specializes in impossible situations. Hope is restored when we remember that our Lord is not hindered or limited by the things that make us feel helpless. There are no barriers with God. There are no obstacles with God. There are no challenges with God that he cannot heal and deliver and bring that solution to. When we come to a mountain that we can't climb over or we can't tunnel through or we can't see the other side and we have no idea what the end result is going to be, it's not a hindrance to God. There's no mountain too great. There's no challenge too great. There's no obstacle too great with God. He is our source of hope, and I will tell you, Jesus Christ is always greater than your greatest problem. No matter how big your problem may seem, God is greater. Hope remains even when we cannot see God. Even when we can't hear him clearly. Even when we can't reach out and touch him. There's always hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we know that God is a good God and we know that God is always working on our behalf. And so even in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the problems, in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of the obstacles, God is at work behind the scenes. And if I will trust in him, there is always hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have to give up. We went to the wild game banquet, and I can share it. No one would know who this is. I don't even know who it was, so I can share it with you. But it was up in Utahville, and they had a speaker last night, and had about 27 people come up and give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jeannie and I went up and ministered to those who were standing around the altar who had just accepted the Lord. And Jeannie prayed with somebody. She said, I tried to kill myself two times in the last week or last month or something. I was trying to take my own life. But that day... She came into that service just hoping to get a great meal, but she gave her life to the Lord Jesus Christ and found her hope in him. There is always, always hope in Jesus Christ. You see, the hardest part of faith is not seeing or hearing. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith operates in the supernatural, spiritual dimension of life. It operates in the unseen, spiritual realm. Any tangible evidence of God's concern for our problems leaves too much room for the imagination. In other words, once you begin to think God doesn't care about me, our mind starts to work overtime. And instead of focusing on the Lord and putting our faith in him, all we see is the problem. And so our minds and our eyes and our hearing goes about what the natural senses can take in, what we see in the natural, what we're witnessing all around us. And if we are not careful, uh, despair will overcome hope. Unfortunately, too often we feel that 
information void with thoughts of depression, anxiety, grief, uh, fear, and it grips our hearts. And Satan comes in, and in those moments when our problem seems so great and the mountain seems so tall that Satan comes along and whispers, you know, God really doesn't care about you. God really doesn't love you. God really can't be a good God if this is all happening to you and you are alone and forgotten. When we fall into that natural pattern of doubt that God doesn't love me, God doesn't care, the circumstances of life will always substantiate our very worst fears and they are amplified in our mind and so it leads to despair and it leads to those feeling of hopelessness. Choosing to accept the truth of God's love and care, even when we don't see it, even when we can't hear it, takes faith. And faith and hope always work together to know that God still loves me and God still cares. Hope is bound to our confidence in the power and goodness of God. They rise and they fall together. And so if we doubt his goodness and we doubt his love, it will lead to despair. It will lead to a loss of hope. But even in bad circumstances, bad times, if I will put my faith in God, in his goodness, and in his love for me, hope will arise. And there is always hope if I believe that and I hold to that. There have been times in my own despair, in my own times of grief, at times my own depression, that I begin to doubt God's ability to solve my problem. And then it's amplified by the fact that my mind's telling me, does God really care? Does God really care? And, and I just thought in some of those times, wouldn't it be great if God knocked on my office door and said, hey, man, I just wanted to check on you and see how you're doing just want to let, let you know I'm alive and well, and I'm here, and uh, I really care about you, and, and by the way, I got this. I've got everything under control. Now, that would be awesome if there would be that knock of the door when we're going through those times of discouragement, or the mountain seems too great, or the situation seems impossible. And while I have yet to open the door and see Jesus Christ standing there, I will tell you there are many times I heard that knock at the door and I opened the door or I answered the phone or, or I read a text and it's from one of God's angels uh, sent by God and they come in the form of another brother or sister. And just in your time of need, just in your lowest point, uh, someone comes along and says, hey, pastor, I love you, and I want you to know I'm praying for you, and I want you to know no matter what you're going through, God is greater still, and God's got this, and I got your back. And I tell you what, it's just like God himself spoke into my ears, I've got this. You see, he chooses to work through his family to bring hope to others. He chooses to work through you and me, brothers and sisters in the Lord. This is what the word of God means when it says encourage one another and build one another up in the most holy faith. And so we do that. And I will tell you, it's just as if Jesus Christ were doing it himself and he works through each other in the body of Christ. And that's how my hope is restored again. Family of God is phenomenal. 
and he gets us through those challenging times. And then God has given us his word to keep our hope alive. And our confidence in the Lord ebbs low when I need a hope transfusion. It's the word of God then that comes to my rescue. And I get into this word and I open up the book and it restores my hope all over again. One pastor struggled more than I can ever imagine. He describes his own life as times of being shipwrecked. He talks about being in prison. He talks about I was beaten. I was stoned. I went through everything. And he writes to his beloved son in the faith, a man by the name of Timothy. It's probably the last letter he ever wrote. It's found in 2 Timothy. And I want you to turn there just a moment or look at the screen if you would. And he's numbering his days on the earth. And he writes Timothy to encourage him. And while he's facing death, Paul's encouraging others. But look what he writes in the word. And he says there in verse number 11, chapter 2, Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. What incredible words of encouragement that brought hope into Timothy's life. When times get tough, they never get tough enough that the love of God is not greater still. God has everything under control. There is always hope with the Lord Jesus Christ. Raising this dead son to life dramatically shows Jesus Christ's resurrection power over death. There are three times recorded in the New Testament that God raised somebody up from the dead. There are probably many more times. We have three recorded times. One time he did it with Jairus' daughter. He was going to heal Jairus' daughter. Didn't make it in time. And by the time he got there, she was already dead. Put everybody else out of the room. Had Peter and John and the family in there. And he prays for that girl. And she gets up. And life comes into her again. And then we have the story where this person, this widow's son, had already been dead possibly a day, maybe two, but they're hurrying to get him to the tomb so that they can bury him there before his body decomposes and he stops that funeral procession right in his track. God can wreck a good funeral. And all those mourners that were hired had to just go their way and leave. They were done. Their job was over. It was finished. And he raises them up and he sits up, the Bible says, and he begins to talk. The third one was Lazarus. This time Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days and four nights. And, and, and I, when I preached on Lazarus in this story a couple of years ago, I talked about after four days, it was believed after the third day, the spirit left the body in Jewish thought. And so Almighty God reaches back in the spirit realm and pulls the spirit back into the body of Lazarus declaring once again that he is the almighty son of God and when he talks to Mary and Martha he says I am the resurrection and the life three different stories the word of God gives us to show us the miracle working power of God over death but it also shows us that no matter how long you've been in your trial how 
long you have suffered, how long you've been going through your problem or your challenge or your obstacle, there is always, always hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reality is this. This widow's son would leave longer, would live longer, possibly many more years, but he would eventually die again. Jairus' daughter would live longer, and she would maybe live 30, 40, 50 years longer, but she would die again. Lazarus would be raised to life, and he would live longer, but possibly 20, 30 years, but he would die again. But Jesus Christ would walk out of a tomb after three days and three nights being in there. He would walk out of that tomb, and he would be raised to life, never, ever to die again. So what does that tell me? If I am in Christ Jesus, I will tell you there is a resurrection day coming for every single one of us. When the last enemy, the word of God says will be defeated, and that last enemy is death. And the trump of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise up, and in that day we will have a new glorified body. And we will never see death again because Jesus Christ is absolutely the resurrection and the life. And the Bible says in Titus, this is our blessed hope. And above all the hopes that we have in our Christian journey, probably the greatest hope and the most blessed hope at all, that if I am in Christ Jesus, I will never ever die again. Jesus Christ is able to come this morning and speak into your dead spirit. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we are dead in trespasses and sins. And the Holy Spirit's able to come in and breathe life into you and make that spirit man alive again. And you can know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And he says in the book of John, those who are in Christ will never die. We just simply fall asleep and get promoted to a brand new life with him for all eternity. We just pass from one state of life into the next state of life because everlasting life never, ever leaves me. And so the physical tent may shut down. This physical body may shut down at some point. My spirit will live forever and reign with him. And one day, body and spirit will be resurrected and united together. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, you've got to invite him to come into your life and say, God, I need you. Save me. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Give me your gift of everlasting life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes if you would today. Thank you, Jesus. My question for you today is simply this. Do you know him? Is he the Lord of your life this morning? See, your Lord and your Savior, have you invited him to come into your life? If not, when you die, all you have waiting before you is eternal death and damnation in hell. But if you say, God, I need you, God, forgive me, God, cleanse me, God, come into my life, the Lord Jesus Christ will come in, he'll breathe life into your spirit, and you will be a new man in Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.